And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, 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 push, 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 push. Step, 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 crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, hey, profane faith fam. Here we are back again. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, hopefully you're doing well. It uh, is the dead of winter here in Chicago. And um, yeah, there is a lot of snow on the ground, which is great. This year, I bought myself a snowblower, a little Toro E64 electric snowblower. And I know some people are probably thinking, man, there's no way an electric snowblower, a cordless battery operated, right? snowblower can do the job of a you know gas powered but i tell you uh over the last few years i've been trying to move more towards battery operated material in in all areas right um my lawn trimmer and blower all those are um electric Uh, my saws are all electric um including my chainsaw and uh you know i'm just trying to slowly move that way the car not so much yet. Um, we're, we're getting there. Uh, but um, whoo, I tell you, um, goddamn electric cars are a lot of fucking money. Uh, yeah, and I ain't, brother ain't getting no goddamn Tesla, man. So, um, yeah, I ain't paying like $100,000 for an electric car. So I'm still waiting for cars to come down uh, in that price. But uh, I'm trying to move towards solar here at the house as well. But I tell you, this little snowblower does the job. It's a single stage for those of you who are into blowing snow and all that. And you know all that stuff, you know, uh, difference between single stage, uh, dual stage. But uh, this thing is great. I just plow through and I bought myself two batteries. It's a 60 volt. Um, but I haven't had to even use to even touch the second battery yet. And I'm doing my neighbor's stuff. Uh, I'm doing the sidewalks. I'm doing the back. I tell y'all what? brother just loves playing with his toys you know what i'm saying toys don't they don't really change um uh for a lot of older boys um uh, you know they just get more expensive this one was no joke in price but i'm happy that i don't have to keep buying gas and the investment in the battery system i mean i know i can at least get um easily you know seven eight years out of that if not more um, so I am, I'm, I'm going with it. I love it. And, um, yeah, it's going to keep working for me. You know what I'm saying? Look at me being all Midwestern on y'all for a little bit here. Um, well, the other announcement too is, and if you don't follow us on Twitter, which I don't know why you don't, we're on Twitter, Profane Faith. Uh, big shout out to Irene Cho because she was the one who encouraged me 
to get uh, a Profane Faith Twitter handle, and I'm glad I did, especially since I was kicked off of Twitter, my personal account, at Dan White Hodge. So Profane Faith is on Twitter, but if you do follow us, you already know I made the announcement here last week. We're moving shows to every other week as opposed to every week. Um, for the last few years, well, really since the show's inception, we've done shows every week, um, which has worked out fine. But with the pandemic, it's been, uh, and I don't know, I'd be curious to hear from other podcasters out there. Um, it's been difficult just to land guests and, you know, just it's it's taking time to land folks. And not only that, but just to figure out what works in people's schedule. Um, and I always try to keep a bank of uh of interviews on hand so that I'm not scrambling every week. But I'm, as I'm looking at things and I'm just looking at my time and oh, it, I'm just like, whoo, the podcast for me has been a haven to, um, you know, go in, edit. I love doing all the parts of the podcast, editing, uh, producing, um, you know, working in the, uh, you know, in the studio, interviewing people, having conversations with people. Uh, I love all that stuff, but it, uh, you know, it was starting to get a burden and I was like, Oh no, 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 no burden. It doesn't need to be a burden. It doesn't have to be a burden. So I was like, well, let me uh, pull back. And so as of now, um, I do hope to maybe hopefully someday go back to weekly episodes. Um, but for now, uh, it, you know, this is just what's going to work. So I just wanted to make that announcement. If you're listening to this in real time, if you're not listening to this in real time, maybe you're listening to this years from now. I don't know. And you already know we're bi-weekly. Um, maybe things have changed. I don't know. Maybe we're back to weekly stuff and you're just catching up and you're like, wait, what is he talking about? But here in the year of our Lord, 2022... Um, I am going to move our shows to bi-weekly and I think it'll, it'll be good. I mean, I, you know, still continue with the same hard hitting guests and great conversations. Um, I do, uh, we'll continue that and continue with the good critical inquiry. It's just, uh, yeah, just don't want to run out of things to, uh, folks to interview and, uh, also just, you know, give myself some space to be able to get these things out in time. Right. Um, yeah, all that good stuff. So if you have any questions, of course, always hit a brother up. You can always go to uh, whitehodgepodcast.com, send a message there, go to whitehodge.com, send me a message there. Or you can just look us up um, on really almost any media outlet. Profane Faith is pretty much on all uh, outlets. In fact, I just just got it up on uh, iHeartRadio. So I think we're on like satellite radio and pro, um, Spotify and places like that. So uh, anywhere you can find your podcast, this is where Profane Faith is, right? We're hooking it up. So, uh, yeah. So, again, questions, hit a brother up. Um, I want to hop right into this week's guest because this week's guest uh, is the queen, uh, Melissa Flored Bixler. Uh, she has been amazing on Twitter, and I have enjoyed just uh, reading her material and engaging with her. I got a chance to sit down with her. Now, this was last year, so this is in 2021, but nevertheless, the bullshit was still the same, and we were talking about all the crap that was happening, right? Um, she's a pastor out in Raleigh uh, at a Raleigh Mennonite church. She's a graduate of Duke University and Princeton Theological Seminary. She spent time studying in Israel and Palestine, Kenya, and England. Oh, yeah. Much of her formation took place and the Lark community of Portland, Oregon. Now she refers or prefers the Eno River and her garden in Raleigh and North Carolina. She is the chair of the Lark, North Carolina, and a steering committee member 
in broad-based organizing in her county. She's doing a lot of good shit, y'all. Uh, and those of you who already know, Melissa is amazing. She does, uh, yeah, she's putting out some amazing shit. And I was, I was just thankful to finally get her on the show. Been wanting to get her on for a while. Uh, her writing has been appeared in Christian Century, Sojourners, G's, Anabaptist Witness, The Bias, Faith and Leadership, and Anabaptist Vision from time to time. She publishes academic writing. She and her spouse parent three children. Um, I am so excited to finally get Melissa on the show and just to have conversations around race and gender and patriarchy and how all those things intermesh with religion. And if any of you follow, you know, um, any of the stuff that, you know, she puts out there, it's it's amazing. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of bullshit to be talking about in regards to religion, race, patriarchy and all that mess. So enjoy this conversation, fam. Um, send me some hollers if you want to. Every other week, Profane Faith will be out there putting out the good shit. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe, fam. All right. Here we go. stuff today from the law in mississippi yes i was just listening to that before we, oh. before we logged in yeah so. yeah 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 um my wife partner she uh was working for uh uh you know a women's rights sexual reproductive rights organization she was doing hr there she unfortunately just got laid off but um mm. but nevertheless it's been an issue growing i mean and of course during the Trump era that's you know it's been something that you know it's like I don't even think Trump cares about any of that but because evangelicals right are his 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 base it's yeah, like right. he pushed so much crap through in those courts um but anyways yeah. yes yeah. yes yep, it's happening right now it's gonna be the wild west if they if they manage to make this happen, I just, I can't, yeah, I can't imagine how the court retains any legitimacy after, after this, but I don't think they care. <laughs> so no, it just, no. It is what it is. No, yeah. right. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, somebody said the other day is like, you can't shame anyone who's not, sh you know, shameful about what they're doing. I and mean, they're not, it's, there's, there's no shame whatsoever. It's just like, no, we're doing this. It's like, yeah, anyways, I, I don't mean to get into that. I just, there's so yeah. much, that's so much BS. I mean, you know, people in Texas who are like, oh, you know, it's my right. I don't have to take the vaccine. It's my body, my right. I get to choose. And then it's like, you turn right around and be like, hell yeah, women can't choose what to do. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, like the fact, the inability to, to absorb your own hypocrisy, like at that level, is just concerning to me just in a sort of like like what do you have to work with right. if you cannot see right. like the incompatibility of those positions but exactly here we are here we yeah. are right exactly here here we are oh my gosh um well for the audience folks who are just listening and stuff uh, i always ask one question and we kind of just spawn from there um what's been happening from birth to now what has made melissa who has made melissa the melissa on uh, everywhere the platforms the preaching all that stuff oh wow that's a great question um yeah i mean it definitely a a series of um a collection of ways that i have grown and changed over time and you know i think one of the most significant sort of turning points for me was the murder of trayvon martin 
Yeah. Um, I was in seminary at that time out at, uh, at Princeton and yeah, that was, that was the birth of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think the first time that I began to make a connection to policing and prisons yeah. as a site of, uh, not of safety, but of sort of a um, mirage of safety, both for me and for my community. Yeah. Um, and so I... Sorry, I was just going to let our one of our people pass by in the hallway. Oh, yeah. I was getting a little yeah, yeah. No, it's all um, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, so that was really a time for me that I began to to sort of shift away from, I think, really from a from a organization organizational um, perspective of broad based organizing mm. to um, to more of a uh, issue focused politics. Okay. Um, which I know it's interesting. I think sometimes people go the other direction <laughs> with that, but I really cut my teeth in broad-based organizing with the Solinsky model, Industrial Areas Foundation. Okay. That was like, that's where I started out um, and and right, sort of my primary formation. And so really taking a, a shift to more like to, to racially identified politi- politics was was a pretty pretty big change for me. Okay. Okay. What uh when it came to, you know, organizing and when it came to, you know, putting those things together, what what was it about that particular thing that you were just like, "All right, this is this is home. These are these are the things that I need to What drove you for, you know, for example, like, you know, was it it was it the, you know, the the Trayvon Martin, was it, you know, Mike Brown? I mean, how was that or even before that, you know? What was some of the the, the genesis for you around that? Yeah, you know, before um before Trayvon Martin was was murdered, I don't know that I had as I didn't really, I didn't have a narrative for the ways that uh, we had structured um, that, that I, I would, I guess I could say that policing was so embedded okay. in the structures of white supremacy yeah. at we knew them that the, it, and then you began to sort of do this outward look at the way that we police this country, right? That that policing, and this is something we often talk about in, in kind of helping people with their imaginations around abolition is policing is not just police officers, right? Like we put po- like we actually police it our our social order in all sorts of ways. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so for me, so so Trayvon's death was really the the way that I began to sort of I, I could begin to actually trace out from his death all of the places that that we just live in a culture of policing that sort of led to this particular incident, which became um, became a political sort of um, reckoning um, okay. for, for many people, but but especially for me. I like that. I mean, I I think. And I like the model you 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 talked about because um, I don't think a lot of folks understand you know just some of the, the the frameworks right around organizing and really dare i say the science behind it right and like what that uh looks like how do you think well let me ask you this since you organize and you know these things how do you feel in this era i mean especially with us talking about all the issues it feels like i feel like during the trump era it was like every day 
literally of his presidency it was like there was something it was just and it was something like bigger than the last it was like one day is this and you think okay there's no way and then it's like it's bigger than the last so it's like it made sense that the january 6th riots right were going to happen it made sense that something like that was going to be the capstone of this man's legacy um but no one's really right on that side there no one's really like hey what are you talking about like that we weren't even there like that was the fbi and cia set that up that has nothing to do that was antifa right (laughs) um where do you see organizing right now is protesting in the streets and all that i mean is that still working i mean how do you see some of those components especially as somebody connected to faith theology religion and 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 trying to make sense of that does that make sense? I know that's a long-winded yeah. question. No, 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 that's great. Yeah, that's a great question because I do think that what what you said earlier about you can't shame people who can't experience shame, right? Like, I think that for me is one of the questions that needs to be asked in broad-based organizing right now because so much of that is a reliance upon forms, the the ideas that we can build power that can shift um, institutions through... Um, by identifying self-interests. But I think we're also at a point where part of the leverage of that um, self-interest is that you don't want to look bad, right? Like, like Like there is sort of a level of respectability for that that we had for politicians like there was a line that couldn't be crossed right right right. what do you do when it's like there's no line anymore like there's no yes and and where the same thing i think is true because so much of um our organizational models have relied upon sort of the moral voice of clergy but if you can get a clergy person to say that white supremacist thing right like it's like there's there's there is no, we don't have a corporate moral voice in the church to be able to say, actually, no, this is not, this is not something we can support. We had, you know, all those um, pastors and Christian music leaders praying over Donald Trump, right? Like, I remember like, that. So we already have yeah. this sort of sense of, um, you don't, yeah, you, we can't really work within those structures anymore. Um, and or if we do, we just need to do we need we need a power analysis that sort of takes into account that um, we're just not we just don't have a level of respectability or sort of a, a sort of a sense of a need for civic friendship anymore. Whoo! You said, wow. Ci- OK, civic friendship. I mean, I think that and I think that's one of the things and I've said it on the show before. Right. It's like that was one of the the, the rude awakenings for I'll speak for myself in 2016 uh, as somebody who's worked to kind of write, bend the mend the bridges of racial reconciliation, right? And kind of believing, maybe even not forthright, but still believing some of that crap from the 90s of promise keepers and, you know, coming together and hugging it out. And then we turn around and it's like, man, this huge number of white evangelicals, right? And most of these churches that we've been at, POCs, women, talking about things that I've sold books at, right? <laughs> um, just turn around and vote for this guy and then don't even think twice about it right? and will argue to your face as to why you're wrong and I'm right. How... How do you navigate that? You're a pastor. Uh, how do you navigate some of those those things? I've talked to several pastors that are just trying to just like figure this time out. 
You've got the pandemic. We got the new Omicron. Sounds like a, a, a an Autobot or a GoBot from the from the Transformers. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, how do you, how are you navigating some of this stuff, Melissa? I'm I'm so curious because it's just seem, it seems like a lot. But I know I'm an academic, so I'm not necessarily in the pews. So break it down for a brother. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think a big part of this for me is that um, you we are responsible to the structures that we create to keep our the kind that keep the kind of churches that we have in place okay. right so so you so i think one example of this for my congregation is that we don't own a building um and oh. and we never will um okay. it is in the DNA of this congregation not to own a building, which means that we don't have to try to like keep people in the pews who have a lot of money. <laughs> we just don't. It's not, it's, we are not bound to um, campaigns to eat, to pay off debt from some pastor in the nineties who overbuilt. This is like the, the thing that my friends deal with all the time. Yeah. We're not trying to do a building expansion. We're not even trying to pay rent, you know, or we're just, pay, just trying to pay rent. We're not trying to like keep this building up. Um, and so we've created a financial structure that gives us like, like a level of freedom for the kind of church that we want to be. Yeah. Um, because money is power, right? Like yes. that's like, yes. and nobody wants to talk about that at church. Like, right. I would love to just have an honest conversation with some church, some of these pastors in purple churches, you know, the red and red and blue (laughs) together about how much of that actually comes from the fact that they need to keep people in their congregations who believe horrible things, who who support horrific racial politics. Yes. Um, And how much of it is that they actually believe that this is like the kind of like, or, and you know, like, I just would love an honest conversation about that because I think so much of what keeps the church in the place it's at now is that we got to pay the bills, right? right? And you got, and the only way you get money in the church is because people give money to you. And the only way people are going to give money to some of these churches is because you, they like what you say in the pulpit, right? And that's just, a, that is a never ending cycle. And so you can, we can talk all day about trying to keep people together or we can just change the structures of our churches so that we're not bound to this anymore, um, so that we have the freedom to be the communities that we want to be. I like that. I like that. Well, I got so many questions. This is great. I love this. Um, let me ask this. I usually ask this at the end, but I'm going to ask now because something that I myself have been working with and, and struggling with and, and really putting into perspective was uh, Dr. Miguel de la Torre's work on uh, theology of hopelessness and um, and kind of just ra- trying to wrap my head around that. And what does that look like? Right. What did that look like for some, you know, enslaved person in 1730? Right. It's like, what does that look like for somebody in 1805? Right. Like, you, OK, you got the, the the independence of the U.S. and whatever. But, man, I'm still enslaved and there's no end in sight. Right. They didn't know, like, you know, a civil war is going to happen. They didn't know that, you know, this freedom was guaranteed. Um, so what gives you hope in this in this era? What are and 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 ultimately, what are some like so what are the, some of the concerns that you see on your side of the uh, of the of the playground, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think in this is that's something deeply rooted in the Mennonite tradition. Uh, you know, a, a, a 
tradition that started off in martyrdom, right? That 90% of the people who were um, a part of this church were massacred within the first five years of of mm. that church emerging. Um, mm. And has always been sort of a, a church on the run. Um, and so, you know, and so I do think that, 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 <laughs> Mennonites have certainly ceded that history to whiteness in the United States for the most part. Um, but there are some grains that that I think we return we can return to as we think about, you know, what it, when, you know, you've been kicked out of another country, this, you know, Germany has once again broken its contract with you and you're fleeing again. Um, you know, where where is God in the midst of this? And one of the refrains that just was so central to um, to the early Mennonite church was Jesus is Lord. Um, mm. and of course, that's a political statement, right? It's Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. The, the Kaiser is not. The Baron is not. The landholder, the governor is not Lord. Um, and I, you know, I think that's the same sort of sense I get right now as we're, um, watching just what feels like the church sort of collapsing beneath us um, or maybe with us in it um, is that none of this, the kingdom of God is never depended upon me. <laughs> like it was never like, like God's will will be done um, in spite of like how the, the, the just the decimation of of people um of the failure of the church to live up to um even a percentage of what Jesus anticipated we would be um and if that experiment fails god is going to do something else right mm. god is god is um god is up to something and I think the best thing we can do right now is cultivate the kind of imaginations to see it outside of um, what um, what we have been expected or in, um, to anticipate will be the way that God acts among us. Mm. Um, and so, so what? Where is God? Sort of the the wildness of God, the undomesticated God. <laughs> um, where are we? where do we not even expect God to act at this moment um, and among whom? Um, and that's the question um, that gives me hope is all I have to do is um, awaken my imagination to that possibility. That's literally the only thing that, that Jesus anticipates of me. And then to put myself there where that thing is happening. Um, and God is, um, God's will will be done. Jesus is Lord. I like that. I like that. I mean, this is and that's and and that's great. I mean, I think you know, putting that together and and and, and thinking about that, it's, it's probably one of the first times I've really heard you know someone put it that way. Um, what are some like theological pericopes or just even just some like how have you built this theology around it? And I'd be curious to know like how you ended up in a Mennonite environment and, you know, like kind of like what drew you to a pastor? I don't know that's three questions in one, but cause you know, cause I'm always curious, like, you know, how did someone end up in the in, in position and not in like, you know, corporate or uh, over here, you know, doing some other type of organizing or, you know, working as a manager somewhere or whatever. But, you know, it's like, no, it's like, no, this is, this is where, this is where God has me. Hmm. 
Yeah. So to where sort of the where I think about the grounding in scripture for this sort of way of being um, is uh, I, I one of my favorite images that Jesus just comes up with all the time are these agricultural images. And, you know, Jesus shows up at the resurrection as a gardener, which I feel like is an important thing for us to pay attention to. Um, and I um and something that I love about those agricultural images is that you can't like get a tree to bloom, right? Like you can't, you can't be like, all right, if I just like really water this thing well, or like if I just like give it all my energy, like there is something that is beyond you, right? It's just in the nature of the thing itself to live. Um, and um, and so when Jesus says, you know, I am the vine and um, and you are the branches, or we get these metaphors about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? There, yeah. these are all things beyond our control, right? That that are are that are coming to life, that are bearing fruit because of God's grace, um, and somehow we participate in that grace um, that that is totally beyond us. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think the sense of um, needing to feel like we need to make this happen yeah. um, is often means we need to make this happen in the ways that we have cultivated an imagination for that within the structures we have, within the institutions we have, um, which is not going well for us um, as a people. Um, and so, so, you know, when Jesus says, pay attention, look at the fig tree, it, it you know, it, um, it just, it comes to life. You get, you get these green leaves in the, in the summer and it, and it dies again in the winter. Um, I think that's really significant for us about how mm. God's will is being done mm. with or without us, with or without us. Talk a little bit about that. I like that analogy with the fig tree, and, and that's good. You know, in in terms of like what 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 are you seeing? What are you seeing on that? What are you know? What are some of the the things that you're picking up on? And in regards to right the era that we find ourselves, it's just, you know, it seems again there's again not as much craziness that was happening during the Trump era, but it, it's it, it's just kind of been dialed down maybe one and a half notches. I mean, you know what I'm saying, and so. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'll confess I wasn't a big fan of Biden or, or Kamala to begin with, but I was happy. Right. And just as a POC to see, OK, first woman of color, vice president. OK, it's great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and again, that's going back to politics. But again, just even where we find ourselves, even in the pandemic, I mean, and, I, and again, I say this out of the context of seeing literally hundreds of students come through my office and yeah, people are just depressed. People are just especially POCs and they're struggling and it's like. Oh my gosh, it's just kind of like all of my part-timers are like, man, this is just a rough, like, you know, especially people who've been like, you know, doing this for a long time. They're like, man, this is just a rough time. So what are some of the things that you see? And maybe you see something different. Don't let me cloud you, you know what I'm saying? By my, my glasses is half empty uh, perspective, <laughs> but uh, you know, what are some of the things that you see and pick up on? Let me, let me, let me start there. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm I'm always amazed by the people who are um who who just say, you know, we're just we're gonna start living this kind of life. Um, which again, I think is something I mean, abolitionists have, have taught me the gospel um mm. in like what what the gospel looks like with hmm. flesh on. Um, because it's, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned from from the abolition communities I'm a part of is that we are 
abolition is not like passing a bill. It's not like one day there's going to be a law that and prisons are gone, right? Like that's that's just not the way that this is gonna happen. What's gonna happen is actually, we're gonna start cultivating um, a different kind of life among ourselves. Um, and we're gonna starve the beast of the prison until it just can't survive anymore. And by that point, when we do both those things at the same time, we've already created an alternative forms of accountability, of community, of um, justice without punishment among ourselves, that we actually have a vision for what the world could be. Um, that is actual justice, right? Is is actual accountability, um, is saying like, people actually we the way that we deal with people isn't we just put them away forever like you can't like you actually have to deal with like harm like for real for yeah, real yeah and and figure out how to have people live in your community um and we do that every and like that is available to every single one of us every day it is available like abolition begins at home it's available in our parenting right like mm. how do we how do we parent as abolitionists um how do we um how do we do accountability in our relationships, in our community? How do you, as a church, like have church, if you're a pastor listening to this, have you thought about what would it be like for me to come up with some scenarios of how we could deal with um, uh, so if something happened in our church community without involving the police? Or when do, like, if there's a break-in, like, have you thought about how you would do a restorative justice practice? Because it's too late by the time that actually happens, right? Yeah. And so yeah. all these pieces are already being built um, among us. Um, and and none of that is going to look like some major shift overnight. Um, it's going to be like the process of slowly putting together these building blocks to create something new. I like that. I like that. I'm because I think that's part of what I'm trying to even process now as. You know, again, I go back to students because that's that's the world I'm in, you know, and folks are always wondering, like, hey, what's the future going to be? Am I going to have a job? Um, uh, that's, you know, that's that's one of the, the big concerns right at our schools. We don't even have a career services place, you know, yet we keep telling students, come, come, come here. Um, but it's like, you know, it's like, you know, what's what is what is that hold? And I know I get that none of us are like fortune tellers and whatnot. Um, but that's good. I, I like that. I think. um I think with the ongoing, um, you know, madness that we find ourselves in, for example, um, yesterday there was, I think it was in Michigan, you know, there was another, you know, mass killing, right? You know, these fools just end up going to, uh, you know, with schools. I, in fact, was I was writing class, teaching a course on media literacy, and uh, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, these things are popping in. Let's let's take let's take a look at this. Um, it's like, why do people go to end up going to schools? Like, really, like seriously, like what what is it about showing up to some middle school or an elementary and and, and shooting people? Um, but I also think, conversely, simply putting gun laws into place isn't going to solve the deeper problem, right? It's, it's, there's a deeper issue at hand that folks are wrestling with or dealing with that somebody can say, today I'm going to go kill a lot of people. I mean, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, cause that thought just, it, it, it doesn't cross my mind. So I have a hard time relating to someone who says today is the day 
um, and I've been planning this and this and this and that. Um, and rather than in, I could sort of quasi see justifying it. It was like, okay, this person did something to me. I'm going to go do that person. But it's like, no, I'm going to take it out on everybody. I'm going to walk into a Walmart or I'm going to walk into a store and just start shooting random people. Right. Um, how have y'all dealt with just some of that and, and own stuff in there? Right. And like, uh, in your own church congregation, just on your own personal life. Um, especially when folks say, oh, all you progressives or however they want labels, right? All y'all just want socialism and you're, you're Leninists and, 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 and you're Marxists. Uh, you know, the gospel isn't about, you know, this racial stuff. It's, you know, it's about the gospel and coming to Christ. Uh, and maybe you don't have to navigate that in your church, but I'd be curious, you know, online uh, and, you know, some of those platforms and stuff like that. Like what, what are some of the things that you've engaged with or not engaged with? Does that make sense? Again, I know a long, long winded question. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think those are great questions. I mean, I am a socialist, so I guess, sorry to, sorry to all, <laughs> all the haters. No, I love it. Um, I love but, it. You know, that's fine. Um, just like, you know, um, Karl Barth and Herbert McCabe, some of the great theologians of our, of our past, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, but I, you know what, Dan, I'm, I'm just done like trying to talk people into things that they don't want to believe. Like Jesus said, the time is short, right? Um, yeah. This like the apocalypse is always happening among us, right? The, yeah. the world is always ending. Um, and I take Jesus seriously at that. Like you have the prophets. If you cannot figure out like the, like the utter destruction of white supremacy on this country, I don't know that I'm going to be, I am the one to be able to talk you out of that, right? right? Like if you honestly can like tell me that you think that critical race theory is like causing children to hate themselves. Like, right. I don't know what, like, I don't even know where to begin with you in that conversation. And I just, I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the patience for it. And I do not think it's my role as a pastor to be able to sort of like talk people out of that or create space for that. It just is not, there's nothing in the new Testament that leads me to believe that that is my role in pastoral ministry, yeah. or that that the work of the church is somehow to widen the tent or talk people down from those positions. Because as you know, um, whenever we present unity in that way, the people who are at the margins of power are the ones who bear the weight yeah. of that unity yeah. every single time. It is not proportionate. Um, it is a disproportionate weight on people of color, on women, on LGBTQ people to sort of figure out how to do life together with people who don't think they should be married or think that they're, they're lazy or think that like all of these things are, are born by a particular part of our church, not, not equitably. Um, and so I don't want to like, I'm, I'm not trying to foster that kind of community. Um, and I think that believing that, um, is destructive, um, for individuals. And all I know how to do is to like build something better with my life, with my community and say, this is actually like a good thing to be like this, like, look at, like, look at the, look how they love each other. Right. Like, look how they love each other. Um, yeah. and and I don't think I'm going to do that by like d trying to talk people down. Yeah. Um, 
Go keep going. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just like, like I'm, yeah. And I know this is always, a, this is, uh, I feel like one of the places where people just, just kind of are struggling with um, feeling a responsibility, especially church leadership to mm. sort of create spaces for, um, for the unthinkable, right? Like there, yeah. like there is this new expectation and, this is why we're seeing just this massive leaving of people from from pastoral ministry. Why we're seeing people leave leave churches, right? They sense this incompatibility. Um, and I think that if as long as the as our pastoral leadership, as long as we continue to say, oh no, you should come back because it's actually good mm. that, that all of us can, that ICE agents and, and the people who they're going to deport the next day, like share communion together. Like as long as we continue to offer this up as sort of like the, the thing that we're, that we're going for, yeah. um, it's not going to be good news for the people who are on the, who are on the, who suffer under that system. Um, people don't want to be a part of that. So let's like make something that like is actually good news um, for the people that Jesus was good news for. Okay. So this is great. So you bring up a really good point because this comes up a lot. I mean, as long as I've been a part of Christian conferencing, this has come up, you know, it's like the, the this generation is leaving and we got to go back and right. It's like, I'm, you know, people who it's interesting. Some of these organizations that don't care about what I have to say or teach, but they sure as hell want my money. Um, you know, they keep sending me these emails like, you know, it's giving Tuesday, you know, come on, give to this. He's like, we're going to go after the 1 million. They've talked about some statistic that Barna put out there about how, you know, all these X amount of young people are leaving. Do you get up in a bunch about this or is it just something like, Hey, I've heard people be like, look, we should just give these cats a parting gift like what are we bringing them back to are we just bringing them back to more crap um it's like when my school's just like hey we got to do a recruiting campaign and i'm like but why are we bringing students here when we don't even have services that can really help them and most people leave here disgruntled so right it's like so what what does that look like for you on your end especially right because you know we always hear these things barna i mean i get emails from barna all you know, weekly daily about how oh we're reaching this and gen wires and this is what they think so you can bring the gospel to them what does that even look like for you melissa break that break that down for me just help me understand make it make sense <laughs> yeah i i do think that this is where we confuse um, the church is the living body of Christ with in the maintenance of our institutional structures. Okay. Right? And um, I read this just really stunning statistic um, a couple of weeks ago that the Episcopal church will run out of people long before it runs out of money um, because of how large its endowments and wow. just how many millions of dollars in property it owns. Wow. And so, you know, I think in something like 20 years, you're anticipating an Episcopal church with no one in the pews, but like fully paid <laughs> buildings that can <laughs> run on forever, which is such as that it just feels like, and this is not to pick on the Episcopal church, but sure, sure. Uh, just to say like, this is not, this is very real for so many people um, that this is, um, this is the future that we're looking at. Um, and, and I, I do think that there is this just very um, fear-based attempt to how can we make the appeal to come back? And it's, uh, and it's like, Oh, if you know, we, I, I think, I think the big thing for us is always like, oh, if we just had better programs, right? right. Like if we had right. a better 
offering. Like that's always, you know, um, if we knew use this new entrepreneurial model that like used capitalism to like, you know, like um, like redemptive entrepreneurship, like all of these sort of models yeah. for, for things yeah. that, and, and I, I mean, I hate to be like such a, to, to be so like reductive about it, but it also just feels like, what if you, what if we're just faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, what if we just, try to return to some of the ways that that the early church thought about scriptural discernment and what community looked like and how they redistributed their money and and then if the institution doesn't survive to trust that God is already going to do something else right like um I don't like it's hard for me to imagine a a world where in 10 years there's a church I would work at that could afford me um mm. um I just like money's money's tight right now, right? Like there's yeah. not people people don't have money to give to their church. Like they're like barely staying alive. Like no one in my under forty in my church has a retirement account. Like this is just not like you're talking about with your students. This is just not the reality, right? Um, and so. I don't think like, oh, wow, church is really in trouble. I think like, oh, wow, what's God going to do next? Um, hmm. How can I be a part of that in whatever way? <laughs> um, because Jesus is Lord and um, whatever is going to happen next, um, the church is always changing, right? This is not, it's, there There are shifts that happen all the time um, in in the global church um, as the sort of center of where Christianity is taking hold right now. And um, there's all of these things that are happening around us. And it's, it feels like there's a lot of hope for us. It just may not be in the structures that we've developed. Ooh. So that, and, and right. And that, that's good. Again, this is, I like that because that's, you know, you don't, you don't tend to hear that right at pastors conferences or you don't hear that, you know, at some of these places, right. It's about, Hey, let's recruit, let's do this. Let's get more people in the MDiv or let's, you know, bring folks over here and, and build this up. And, you know, we got the latest research or whatever. Um, I've stopped going to places, you know, in terms of, you know, let me put this little dog down. Um, we're, we're house sitting her and she's, she can, she likes to sit up here, but I know if she sits up here, she's going to fall down. So anyways, all that to say, um, uh, you know, yeah, where, I mean, it's, it, it, like you said, the programming part of it is right. A big piece. And like I said, I've stopped going to places that want me to come out. Cause you know, I do a lot of work on popular culture and hip hop and you know, can you come and share with us? Like, what is hip hop and how can we reach them? I'm just like, nah, 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 this is a stop. I'm, I'm not the one to, to come and, and, and do that for you here. It's like, I got books. You can go, you can go read those. And I got podcasts. You can go listen to those, but I'm not going to come and write and tell you how to dupe some people just to come and show up in your place. I think that's a great stat that you put out there in regards to like there's more money than there are people in the pews. That needs to speak to somebody right there, right? Mm -hmm. like, God yep. damn. Um Wow. All right. That's uh that's that's a big one. That's a big one. I like that. Um well let me ask this. Let me ask this with where we're currently at and find ourselves politically, you know, as we talk, like you said, they're they're talking about, you know, Roe versus Wade. I mean, this is a big thing. How do you again and, and I asked how you navigate because I'm curious, just like what are you, some of your thoughts on that? I mean, that seems to be a hot button for 
a lot of Christians per se, you know, especially evangelical folks um, about abortion and, you know, of course, same sex marriage, like abortion, same sex marriage, abortion, same sex, like a tennis match. It just keeps going back. And right now we're up for, you know, the abortion debate. Um, what are your thoughts on, on all of that? And just, you know, what's happening right now, at least at this recording, we don't know what's What's going to you know to be the outcome of all this and and whatnot and and you know with where we're at, but it seems like that's been one of the big grand final destinations for the conservative right, right? It's like to get get the courts, change Roe versus Wade, and we have won. We've won the culture wars. We have won. That's it. Right, and it it will be fascinating to see what happens. Right? Does that mean that now? Okay, you got the thing you wanted. Right. Um, right. So now you can like focus on racial justice and you can focus like that's not going to happen. Right. Like this is we already know that this is um, so deeply rooted in evangelical culture um, that that the pro-life movement has always been deeply embedded in white supremacist politics. Those are bedfellows. Um, and so we're just going to end up with um, there's just going to be like, we have the new culture wars, right? Is critical race theory, right? Like there's just, there's, yeah. there's always going to be another thing right. um, that sort of takes up the, takes up the space. Um, so just, uh, our little downtown church has the, uh, an ambulance going by. Oh, um, it's all good. I, yeah, I get yeah. it. Um, yeah. So I, this is never going to end. <laughs> um, it's um, because the goalposts just keep moving. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I think it goes back to um, the, at the end of the day, what, what I think a lot of evangelical Christians want, especially who are more involved in conservative politics is a, like a Christianization, like a renewed Christendom, right? Yeah. That's, I think that's actually the end point. It's, it's that Christian supremacy in the school, in the public school system that, um, and the inability to, to see and discern how that is deeply tied to white supremacist politics and always has been. Um, and so I don't know that it's ever going to stop. Um, I think the question will be, how does, how do communities gird themselves for resistance to that? And it's going to be hard to do that if your primary concern is how do we keep people in our pews, right? They're gonna have to choose eventually. Um, you cannot keep everyone happy um, doing the work of resistance to tyranny, um, uh, especially when that tyranny is so deeply wound up in in the in the Christian church as we know it right now. Um, yeah, so I I think it'll be, I, I actually think things are going to get much worse for our country um, before this is not um, the sort of the floodgate of what we're able to absorb in terms of yeah. Yeah. hatred and Islamophobia. Um, that is just... Um, that we sort of passed the point of no return. And I think there's going to have to be a much more painful reckoning that happens. Um, yeah. Yes. So I feel optimistic, 
even as I feel hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. And I'm, but I'm with you. I, I, I agree. And I think folks have been talking about this, right? Either from the pulpit, from the street corners, from the academy for a long time, right? There's a, there's a mountain of research uh, that builds to this. I mean, it's like, you know, I shouldn't have to at the beginning of classes. Like I've, I've used critical race theory for 25 years, right? In the, in the classroom. It was like, that's something that like really, like, this is a body of work. This is a stunt and people, you know, you can go to conferences and people would debate each other on, on this and this and that. And that's a good, healthy thing. But I'm like, wait, we're just going to just say, a blanketing statement over CRT and I'm just like, wow. And as somebody who studies communication and rhetoric, I'm always just like, wow, folks are falling for this. And like I say at the beginning of every class, like I'm not going to debate whether we should be talking about critical race theory or not. I, if you can tell me two or three scholars that you've looked up, you've researched, mm -hmm. you've analyzed, you've looked at their work um, and, and we can have that conversation, but I'm not going to have the conversation just a broad critical race theory is bad. Um, but you're right. I mean, and that's, I think that's the part for me that I'm trying to figure out. And maybe it's my own capitalist colonization, American. I need to feel safe and secure about everything I do, uh, type of mentality and ideology. Cause I still, still feel like I'm still trying to purge that out of my own thinking. Um, because that's, that's just right how we were raised, right? It's like, you know, you got to take care. You got a 401k. You got to have this. got to plan for the future. Go to school. Have a good job. Get your shit together. Get married. Have a kid. Make sure they're taken care of. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all this stuff. And, you know, you got people in other countries that are just like, look, I just, I just, I just need to get out. Shirt on my yeah. back. I just need to just get, just get to a different place. Yeah. Um, how... Let me see. Let me see. Well, let me ask this because I was reading in your bio how you know you were you know you were connected to you know you what does it say here you were, you were looking at uh, studying Israel, Palestine, Kenya, and England. How do you see some of those things now? I mean, we had the flare up with Israel and Palestine, you know, Hamas thing and everything. You know, how how have you engaged with some of that uh, in regards to? Uh, church and theology and just you know just the violence that we we tend to see in so many spaces right it's like joe biden on one end condemns black lives matter for being violent and destroying property then on the other end right we get some soldiers killed and his 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 language is like we will not forgive we're gonna go after you and kill you motherfuckers right so <laughs> Uh, what's what's the what's what's some reconciling around that break it break it down for us melissa you got you got some give, give us some insight on some of this stuff <laughs> come on pastor oh dan um yeah <laughs> i yeah it i one of the one of the things that i the 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 stories that i i return to often well essays i return to often is um james baldwin's um essay um that where he sort of talks about the um he uses this language of you know what goes up must come down right that there's just an, there's sort of a natural law to human violence that we cannot sustain this forever without um sort of the, the seeing this this destruction and it's it, he's he sounds like a prophet in this because he's warning us right he's saying it is not too late and he wrote this earlier he he gets much more um, pessimistic about the possibility of of the United States dealing with its history of violence later on, um, 
but he uses this sort of image of um, like this um, violence that is circling us in the sky, like like a almost like a vulture is mm-hmm. sort of the image that he's using. Um, and I I think about that um, and how there are always prophets like James Baldwin. Um, who are announcing to us the possibilities of what we could do if we were willing to undo this violence among us. Um, and it, what we know is that these, from from the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, is that those those off, most often are not heard and not heeded, um, that we, we continue to participate in these cycles of violence. Um, and so I, you know, I think I, I've sort of shifted my thinking more towards what does it mean to be a person um, who is better prepared Mm. for, um, for, for, for the kind of works of solidarity that are going to need to happen that I anticipate will happen in the future. Um, So one example of that is, in those really tense months before, between when um, Joe Biden was elected and the inauguration happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> wait, I mean, that was like, I was like, I like barely slept those months. Like that was just you. wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and we were really truly preparing our community for how we kept black and brown people safe. Um, mm. If there were white supremacist riots, if there were targeted attacks, like how, like putting mutual aid networks together, we had signal threads talking about like, especially like if there was a coup, like really, if there was a coup and this is, and none of this I think is at all in the service of conspiracy (laughs) because it actually happens. Like January 6th happens. Like um, even now we have, um, judges from the Trump administration. We have local um, local and state officials being from the Trump administration being put into the position of controlling the election systems. Like we like we we need to see the signs in front of us um, and start actually, I think, preparing for what it means to be in a world where things are much more chaotic for us in the future. Um, and I don't know that we are sufficiently anxious about that um, yes. in a way that was like that we're that we're actually again like we do not have time right now to try to talk people out of this right they the disinformation like you're like the conspiracy that like is like it's just people just are can lie right and they can there's a whole channel a whole news channel devoted to just conspiracy right that people consume for like 10 20 hours a day um you can, we cannot compete with that we can um we can only begin to think about what it means to when when what goes up comes down finally upon us that's that is a beautiful way of uh of putting that i love that melissa that is um that captures a lot of what i feel like 
uh, where I've been at for you know the last five six years. Of course, the pandemic has only sped some of that stuff up, right. and I feel like it's it's it. <laughs> I feel like it's anytime like for example, you talk about UFOs or aliens, people just start looking like yeah, mm-hmm, you probably wear spoil on your head, and you think the boogeyman is Sasquatch, and you know, and then you start telling people right about some of these things, and people think oh. And so I don't think, right, it's not in our captured imagination um, of what can happen. Now, you talk to somebody who comes from a country that's had a collapse, that's had a coup, and they'll tell you right off the bat, here are what the signs are. Here's here's what's here's what's going on right here. Um, so, I mean, and so what what is some of the, the prep? My mind goes automatically right to preppers, and I, I've recently stumbled upon, like, you know, this whole culture of black preppers who... You know, who because, you know, prepping and for those who don't know prepping, right, it's the kind of the notion of thinking that you, you want to prepare for the end, prepare for the apocalypse. It's been a very largely white male environment, right? Kind of this, what do you got? What is a Thunderdome? What is a Mad Max type of thing, right? Where you're making suits out of like tires and spikes. Um, I don't I don't know if we're there yet, but what do you see as some of the uh, the preparations or do you or I mean, you know, I mean, because that's the other thing. Some people just say. I've heard some some folks say some theologians that I respect a lot and just say, like, you know, we're going to we're going to trust God. And if it's my time, it's my time. We're going to continue to do the work. And even if it's that, we'll still be doing what we're doing now. Um, So I don't know. I'm curious if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that the 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 what's what's maybe different about the ways that we need to be preparing ourselves are that these are things that we actually always needed. <laughs> um, and we just um, have have chosen, uh, like have chosen not to do that. Like you should actually know your neighbors, right? Um, you should know where vulnerable people are in your communities. You should have mutual aid networks set up. Um, like this is actually just what it means to be like, like people who live together in communities. Um, and um, and so I don't, I think that there is something to be said about um, taking seriously the lessons of history, like you're saying, like nobody thought like, I mean, who, I think January 6th is such a good example of this. Like who actually thought we were going to wake up that morning and be like, yeah, there's gonna be an attempted coup on the United States government today. Um, and we'll just see how this goes, right? This is always how these things happen. Um, and there's no way to like prepare your way out of that, but there is ways to say, like, where are my people? Where's my community? Um, who's vulnerable in this moment? Like, what does it mean for us to, like we did um, We did uh, several different preparations for what would happen like as a church mm. community, That's if good. there was a coup. Like, who, who do you contact? Um, like we learned like what, it, what it took to put on, to put on a coup. Like you, you need the military. So you need to contact your, your police and you need to make sure that they are aware of their responsibility to the United States constitution. We actually went through this preparation. Um, wow. and it was very serious here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't think that they're, you know, I, I do think that you're right, that there's this sort of white prepper prepper movement that is very much focused on how do I get my family to survive, right? Um, whereas I think someone like Octavia Butler um, uh, in the Parable series, right? Come on, come on. He would be an example of somebody who imagined this sort of 
apocalyptic future. And so many things she's talking about right. are actually happening. Like right. she imagined corporate cities like that Amazon is literally trying to build right now. Right. Um, right. And where your choice was to either live in safety as an enslaved person of the corporate city or to like fend for yourself on the outside. Um, and the way that the parable of the sower unfolds is that Butler imagines this like community that grows in relation to one another, right? It isn't like, um, like because everybody's families are affected by this. There's no sort of sense of um, biological kinship by the end of the book. Um, they're beginning to like recreate this new community for themselves that is, um, like that is inspired by, but in relation to this upheaval that they've just been through. Yeah. Woo, man, you bring in uh, Octavia Butler in there. That's what I'm talking about, Melissa. That's I, I tell you, I, I knew I, I knew exactly why. I was like, I like this person right here, man. She <laughs> knows her shit, man. That's what I'm talking about. Um, okay, this is this is amazing. I, I appreciate that because I don't think enough people look and think about some of the things right that are that are going on that are leading to certain things especially how you know the domino effect as it you know as it's it, you know sets up you know certain aspects and then like you said um you know people just kind of you know underwrite it or whatever and and i get it you know because it's like if you're i talked to a pastor one time in you know black pastor he was in a very low income neighborhood and he was like look dan i know i've read about like postmodern theory and all these other theories he's like but honestly my people are dying. My people are just strung out. My people are dealing with some serious stuff. I don't really have time to like engage in all this. It's like, like a lot of people are just kind of just going through the motions. They're just going through every day because it's just so much stuff happening, right? Um, well, let me ask this, and I know our time is nigh. I wanna, I wanna make sure we keep that because we, you know, we, everybody's moving and grooving. But let me just ask this, and then we can, we can wrap it up. But because I definitely, I mean, we haven't even talked about your books. I mean, you shit, you got two books, two books, or is it three? Just two. Just two. Just two, two. Shit, yep. just two man. That's, <laughs> whoo, shoot, man. That's, well, let me ask this. Let me ask this. And then, and then break down break down your books, I, I, which just means I'll have to get you back on the show. Um, what, what should folks be doing? What should folks, should we be arming ourselves? Should we be like harvesting rainwater, getting into aquaponics? Should we <laughs> solar? Should we be moving out of the country? Should we just go to Canada? You know, just move to Northern Canada because in 20 years, the climate will be like Los Angeles. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the things that we can do now are begin to... Um, instead of thinking about self-preservation, begin to think about community preservation. Mm. So we're getting solar panels, but because we want to have a like our a planet for our children in the future, it's like feels like a good way to do it, right? And um, but I mean, we also know that like we are at the end of our ability to rely on fossil fuels, right? That's um it isn't um, neurotic to be preparing, right, for a world without fossil fuels. We've, that's like, that's a good thing for us to do to participate in. Um, but in terms of just our very fragile um, pseudo-democracy, like, I do think that like knowing, like developing the networks that we need to recognize who is in our community um, and how we, 
um, take seriously the threats that are before us and actively participate in the political process of whatever we can do um, you know, to, to, so I don't, I also don't think this is an invitation, which is often sort of prepper culture to like head for the hills and like, we're not going to engage with this system right, anymore. Right? right. Um, um, which is like, certainly Mennonites have a little bit of that in us as well. Um, <laughs> but, it, but this is a, this is actually, I think an invitation to attend more deeply to like, what does it mean to make sure that children in our schools live with the discomfort of American history, right? Like that is, we need to be actively participating and making sure that children have the opportunity to engage in their discomfort. Um, mm. That is in, that is a deeply Christian response to this moment. Like we need to be doing everything we can to help people get out of prisons who are languishing there, right? Like this is um this isn't this is both an invitation to preparation for our future, um, that is already here, <laughs> um, and so that um, yeah. But again, I think what I would just emphasize is these are the things that we just need to be doing already that we have elected to our self sufficiency, our belief in our possession of creation. Um, that um, we have made ourselves gods of this place, right? And um, it would not be surprising for that system to fall apart at some point. Um, it does. Um, and so to be able to have already developed the interdependency that we just decide to ignore is not a, is not a bad way for us to live. I like that. I like that. And I would definitely welcome more communal living right i mean you think about just how much we've been insular um you know i'm in my house you in your house you leave me alone i leave you alone you know what i'm saying but it's like man that that that's not how humans have lived for you know thousands of years it's like you had to rely on the clan you had to rely on your your people your community so i, I like that i like that it's a good place um well, let me ask you, then, real, I, I don't, and I hate to say it, real quick, because I didn't want to keep to our time, but I'm just, man, these these books you got, I mean, How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger and the Work of Peace, um, and then you got, this one just, uh, no, 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 that one just came out, and Fire by Night was 2018, I believe, Finding yeah. God in Pages of the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yep, the second book just came out in August, and yeah, certainly my sort of way of, working through some of these questions we've been talking about, right? Like, um, what does it mean to have to very viscerally in, in sort of a new way, um, since the, like, since my having enemies in this world, enemies of the things I love, of the communities I care about, of myself, um, and what, and what does it mean, um, to love those enemies in a way that doesn't, continue to participate in the destruction of those whom God has called beloved. Um, and so that was really the question that was sort of at the heart of that second book. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So I'm, this just means I got to get you back on and we get to talk specifically about that. Cause I think that's something that, um, you know, it's not talked about a lot, at least, at least in the, in the American imagination, right. An enemy is somebody we need to just stamp out and take out, <laughs> blow up, shoot, do, do anything, cut them off financially, um, and I, I, I need to, you know, I need to hear more of that. So, um, thank you so much for taking the time out today of, of a busy schedule and just, and just chat it up. This has been great. 
Yeah, it was great to be with you, Dan. I actually quote you in the second book from uh, um, no, no Church in the Wild. Oh. Nice, nice Jay-Z reference there. So I'm, uh, yeah, definitely um, excited to have you uh, to be back on and talk more about it. I hear that. No, yeah, no, I'm going to definitely reach back out to you. Um, and thank you for the for the quote. That's it, that No Church in the Wild, man. That's, that's some joint right there. Um, yeah. Where can folks find you? If they want to buy these books, they want to bring you out, they're like, hey, we got an honorarium. Hey, we're going to give you some solar panels. You know what I'm saying? You talked about solar panels on the show. We're going we're gonna to give you a whole bunch. That's great. If you want me to be your solar panel influencer, I am totally, totally up for it. <laughs> just let it. me know. Um, but yeah, you can find me on any social media just by my, you know, looking at my name. And um, yeah, I'm a full time pastor. So um, I but I love to zoom in with book groups and just have discussion. That's a that's a great joy. So if you all are. Um, yeah, reading the book and just want to reach out and have a conversation. Um, but yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. And as always, I'll put all these in the show notes, White Arch Podcast, ProfaneFaith.com. Again, thank you. Blessings on the work that you're doing. I think you're doing amazing stuff. I wish you were closer because I haven't had a church in several years. And so I, this, mm. this sounds like the place that uh, I would like to be at. Um, but thank you again and keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks, Dan. It's good to be with you. Thank you.